Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey. Monica. O'Hanlon Production. I've seen girls and guys get naked on some of my guiding trips. Mostly just for like 10 minutes for a photo and then I have to be a party pooper and be like, hey, put your clothes back on because if you get, you know, hypothermia, that's going to be bad. Hey, welcome back to the Living With Mon podcast, the series that explores interesting and alternative lifestyles. I'm your host, Monica O'Hanlon, and I am just thrilled to have you with me. Now, the last couple of episodes, we've explored the furry subculture. If you haven't listened, definitely check those out after this one. But today, we are switching things up. For many of us, especially here in Australia, the possibility of traveling the world seems impossible. Things are going to open up, of course, but for now, perhaps we can all live vicariously through the stories from my guest this week. Her name is Gracie and she's an Antarctic tour guide. I wish I could have chatted to Gracie for hours because as you'll soon find out, we could have made an entire series devoted just to her. Unfortunately, because we had to do this interview super early in the morning, Gracie is currently based in the US. We ran out of time and I had to go to work, but it was an incredible conversation and honestly, it was almost as good as a holiday, almost. So without further ado, let's get into it. Where's the accent from? I'm trying to place it. Well, I'm from the US, but the, the last 10 years, with, with the exception of this last one year, uh, I've been backpacking. So I think it's just a mix of everything. I was thinking maybe Denmark or something. Yeah, it's funny. I always, sometimes Denmark, sometimes Ireland. For people that know nothing about New Zealand or Australia, they'll think I'm from there sometimes. <laughs> Even though my accent's nothing like you, I, I spent quite a few years in New Zealand. I think it comes and goes and it really depends the subject as well. I'm sure like if I talk about things that I learned in a certain place, I'll talk about them in that dialect. That is so interesting. It's, it's very interesting. I can't hear myself, but I hear that all the time. Since I can remember, even as a little kid, I've always wanted to, to travel and just see new things. It's just always been there. So even when I was young, before I was even 18, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Canada. If someone ever invited me, someone I barely knew once said, hey, do you want to come to Mexico with my family? I worked with her. I was like, yeah, of course. I'm there. I was 14 years old, you know, and I've always had like a strong passion just to see new things, things I haven't seen. Even things I shouldn't be interested in, they're like, oh, you want to go? I'm like, I've never been there. Absolutely. Let's go. Let's see it. And so that's why I just love traveling and exploring. So I grew up here in a pretty normal American family. And then as soon as I was ready, I just started traveling. And I went first to Europe as an au pair. It's a really easy way to start traveling because I was so shy when I started traveling. I couldn't make friends. I didn't know how to talk to people. And I was so lonely. So I did that. And, you know, after a year, 
I could talk to anyone and I could make friends in any situation, but it was hard at first. And then I've just been going since then. So I worked, you know, in, as an au pair in four different countries. And then I was backpacking and started hitchhiking and started volunteering and finding more adventurous jobs. I met a partner who ended up, we were together for five years, a really good guy from New Zealand. And I did all sorts of adventurous jobs then, like go to New Zealand and hunt possums in the bush. They're, you know, different from Australia, are allowed to, to hunt them there. Just kept building up my skill set, uh, which eventually led to our main subject, the, the, the Antarctic work. So working New Zealand in the wilderness toughened me up and then working on boats there toughened me up. We went to traveling around in Alaska and we ended up getting a random job on a fishing boat, which was my first experience with real boat skills, which is which led to me being able to be a guide as having those boat skills and just hitchhiking through uh, Europe and then North Africa and New Zealand, Australia, a lot of parts of Asia. Just really, I really had this really good 10 years with, the, I said, the exception of this last year, I haven't traveled much, but a uh, really good, good time just traveling and exploring and meeting people and volunteering and building up my skill set. Like I remember we were in New Zealand once hunting and we got this random email from a guy saying, hey, can you come and uh, sail with me to the Northwest Passage? I Last minute, my friends can't come. It's free, but I won't pay you. So we dropped everything. We flew to New York and we got on a boat that went from New York City up to, to Greenland, across the top of Canada, through all the icebergs and the ice and, and all those conditions. And we finished in Kodiak, Alaska. So that was like the first experience with real like Arctic, Antarctic experience and ice navigation and those skills, which also really led to me getting to become a guide and just having like outdoor navigation skills. That's most of my life. So just traveling, learning cool things, like also healing. I love like going and studying yoga in India and meditation in Myanmar and like learning about like healthcare and self-healing while adventuring and just meeting like such good people around the world. And that's, that's about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like we should do a whole series just on you. You're, you're basically a 10 part episode. That's insane. What a life. <laughs> yeah, it's a good life. I'm really thankful for it. And there's been so many opportunities to, you know, there's so many resources to travel nowadays if, if one is willing to be uncomfortable and give up all their safety margin and stuff like that there's so many resources that help you go and find friends and jobs and, and places from doing all these things traveling around the world how did you actually first become a tour guide to antarctica i was in in new zealand and i mean most a lot of it was it was just luck and knowing the right people but also having those skills so choosing to go hunting in the bush in new zealand give me this outdoor confidence navigation Choosing to go unpaid into the Arctic on a boat with like, we had, you know, barely a toilet, no heat. And it was just like cold. It was so cold for months. We just would heat those little hot water bottles and shiver around them. And, but it's okay. I didn't mind being miserable in exchange for the adventure. And so I was lucky enough to have those skills. So I had ice navigation skills. I had outdoor guiding skills. And then an opportunity came up where my partner at the time from New Zealand knew someone that, that worked on the Heritage Expeditions, which is a company out of New Zealand that does Antarctic trips. And they needed someone, not as a guide, but they needed me as a hotel manager and him as a guide. 
And we didn't, I didn't actually go to Antarctica with them, but I went to the sub-Antarctic islands of New Zealand and also Macquarie, sub-Antarctic of, of Australia. And so that was kind of the foot in the door. It, and it was really just a lucky opportunity that I knew someone that knew someone. And then applying, they knew like, okay, she has ice experience. She's got these other experiences with this stuff that she can handle it. And then um, I did that with them, but then I also went off traveling again and I was doing other things. And I was on a, an island in Tonga with my partner from New Zealand. We'd broken up, but we were still traveling together in, in Tonga for a bit. And he had a guiding job in, in Antarctic. And then he got hired for a different job, the New Zealand base down there. I think Scott Base is it in, in Antarctica. And so he was like, oh, I'd rather go to the base. I don't want to work for this company guiding. I want to go live live there. And so I was, again, in the right place at the right time. And I said, like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And so he says, like, hey, I can't come. This is Oceanwide now. This company I, I work with is Oceanwide. It's a company from the Netherlands. And they do trips to the Antarctic from South America, not from New Zealand, Australia, but South America to there. So he he couldn't go. He wasn't going to take this job. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. So really lucky messages. The company says, I can't come, but here's a great replacement. They reached out to me and I sent them my qualifications. Like, hey, I do outdoor hunting, navigation. I have ice experience and all those things. I've worked on a subantarctic boat, you know, doing tours and all those things added up that they were like, okay, great. Sure. Come take his job. And then I was like, sweet. And then that was the start of it. And they're a good company, but now going forward, when things start getting more up and running, I'm going to be like reaching out to smaller companies. I really like doing like smaller trips or even sailboat because I have a lot of experience in sailboats. So did you stop work because of COVID? Is that what happened? Yeah, they're not doing any trips this last year. And then last season, the season before, I don't even remember how long ago COVID, such a long nightmare, but like before when things were still normal, I didn't even work that season in the Antarctic because I had some other things going on with the plan to go back this this season, like this October. But who knows what's going to be happening. So I love, I love this work. And if it gets back going again, that's fine. But there's also so many other places in the world to see and things to do. So I've got a lot of plans of what to do this season if I'm not doing any guiding. And a lot of my colleagues who were on the boat during COVID, they got like trapped because Argentina wouldn't take them. And like all these other countries, South America were like, no, we're not taking you. So they ended up staying on the boat and they went all the way back to the Netherlands before they could fly to their homes throughout Europe and US and South Africa or wherever the guides were from. So while that sounds like an adventure, I was kind of happy to be on land doing my own thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, going back to the Antarctic stuff, how many actual seasons did you do? Three seasons and I'll do like four trips each season or so. Like a, a trip, a trip down and back can be like between twelve and twenty some odd days, and it's it's fun, but it's also pretty full on. So like after a month or two, I'm ready to. I don't I don't work very much. I have to be really honest with you. I love guiding and I love being down there, but I'm more like working three months a year or four months a year, and then like traveling, you know, on a lower budget most of the time, volunteering, having experiences. So I don't have a desire to work there for like months and months on end. Yeah, cool. I mean, that sounds that sounds like the life. <laughs> that sounds really nice. How do you prepare for a trip? What to pack is pretty important, right? 
Do you have yeah, to do absolutely. physical training and stuff? As a guide that I am, I mean, you just have to be in shape. You don't have to be like a professional athlete. Like I'm not the most fit, like, you know, exercise enthusiast person. And most of it's just skills, people skills, being in good physical shape, because you are, you are taking people out on the ice and you're hiking around with them and you got to be able to keep a fast pace and you're trudging sometimes through snow and you're the first one. So you got to be able to be pretty fast and just have endurance. It's definitely an endurance type thing for packing. Yeah. That's very important what you pack because in the Antarctic, as many people know, like the weather conditions can be really harsh and they can also change rapidly. Uh, it could be lovely and warm that you just need a light jacket. And then suddenly that wind comes in and you need to put on all your layers and you just can't, you can't not be prepared as a guide because you're taking care of yourself and a whole bunch of other people. So, I mean, it's just a lot of layers is what we'll tell anyone coming on the trip. You need a lot of layers, not cotton, you know, just synthetic or wool. I just bring everything wool with me and I have my own possum fur, of course, that I hunted myself that I use for my hats and my mittens and things like that. Mostly it's just clothing. Just have the right clothing that you can take on and take off as you need. And just um, weatherproof, you need like waterproof everything for, because I, I do the guiding, but I also drive the Zodiacs, which is like those 10 passenger inflatable boats with the outboard motor at the back. So you're driving passengers to and from the, the boat and you can have huge waves or weather and you can be getting pretty soaked if you're not dressed. So for the Antarctic, you just need to stay dry and you need to have the right clothes. So no cotton that's going to make you cold when you sweat and, and get it wet. So. How cold does it actually get? It doesn't get that cold where I go because I'm going to the peninsula, which is that little bit of land. It's like, I'm sure you know from the map, it like juts up towards South America. And so it's mostly surrounded by water, which keeps it a lot warmer. But if you're going to like the other side where like, um, where the base is Scott base and I don't remember the American base, maybe I can't remember the name, but like the American base, Scott base, they're on the other side. And it gets a lot colder there because they're more inland, less surrounded by water. My goal to someday is to work for a tourist outfit that goes to the South Pole. Actually, they have a base there. It's going to be getting freezing. But how cold it gets, it's, it is the, the, the coldest temperature I've recorded was in the Antarctic. But most days it's going to be around like for Celsius, about zero, maybe negative 10, maybe sometimes plus 10. And then it's like hard to say because it's the wind. It's the wind that really gets you. It's these wind, these strong winds are coming through and blowing on you and just gets chilled. You get chilled to your core from them. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's, um. I, I kind of expected it to be co- like the whole thing. I just kind of thought it would be way colder. I sh- sorry, I should correct myself because um, I'm telling you about the summer temperatures. I only go there in the summer. Because one, you can't even, I go by boat. So we leave on a boat from, from Argentina in Ushuaia city and we go south through the ice. Now, if it's the winter, you can't even get there because the ice, the, the icebergs and all the sea ice is all frozen up. So it's not even safe to take a boat down there unless you have a, a massive icebreaker, which I don't, I don't work on an icebreaker. So the only time I go guiding is in the summer. So this is like the warmest of the warm. So I'm already on the peninsula, which is warmer, and I'm there in the height of summer, which is warmer. Uh, but if you're there in the in the winter or on another part that's, that's more inland, like it's it's going to be, you can get negative 40, you know, it's, it's very possible. Whoa. And I think <laughs> the coldest is like 
I think I don't remember exactly the coldest I record is somewhere around negative 70, negative 80 Celsius, something like this. That's wild. <laughs> but, but you'd be surprised. Like if you do a trip, which which most toast most tourist trips that you'll get guided on are gonna go to the, the peninsula, you can have a day that's sunny and you're down to just a long sleeve t-shirt, you know. You know, I mean, I've seen girls and guys get naked on some of my guiding trips. <laughs> I mean, mo mostly just for like 10 minutes for a photo. And then I have to be a party pooper and be like, hey, put your clothes back on. Because if you get, you know, hypothermia, that's going to be bad. But it sometimes <laughs> is warm and warm enough that people can take off their, their tops and take naked pictures briefly. And then some days there's no sun and it's windy and you're, it's, it's wet and you're just freezing to your core. So it changes so fast, the weather, like in 10 minutes you can get some really scary stuff coming up from a perfectly nice day. What actually happens on tour? Because you mentioned it, they can vary with how many days you go on. What is it, like how long does it take to get from Argentina to the Antarctic base that you guys head to? It's about two days and it's going through the roughest or one of the roughest seas in the world, the, the Drake Passage, because... When you get down that low, you don't really have any landmass in the way to block these waves. They're just going all the way around the world. There's nothing stopping them from building up their momentum. Whereas anywhere in the, you know, around the equator and anywhere else in the world, you pretty much have like some landmasses, even if it's all the way up north towards Greenland, you got something blocking these waves from going around. But these ones are just building up. And so this trip is miserable sometimes. Sometimes you're lucky and you get what they call the Drake Lake and it's very flat like a lake. But more often in my experience, you just get rough, massive weather and it's like these miserable days. And then you get there and as soon as you get down there into the ice and the icebergs and the islands, you're sheltered. So it's very nice and calm usually. But that trip down there is rough and people get, you get a lot of seasick people. You get a lot of people that just stay in their room. You don't see them the whole time. It's worth it, but it's not easy for sure. So you asked about the, the trips themselves. So it's usually yeah. down a few days back where you go at the peninsula. If you want to go from New Zealand or Australia, that's going to be about four days. And then if you're going in a, and this is a, this is on a ship. If you're going in a smaller trip with a sailboat, for example, from Argentina, Ushuaia to, to the peninsula, it could take you four days or more, depending on how fast your sailboat's going. So I love sailing, but I like this ship because you just sail faster <laughs> and you don't suffer that much. I have been on a lot of boats. I still get seasick just like anyone else. I just deal with it. But um, you, you can do a trip where you're going down and then you're there for like, you know, seven, eight days and then you're coming back and you're just going around the peninsula. There's other trips that bring you to like some of the more famous islands or like the, the Falkland Islands, like in different places. There's some trips that go further south, further in, so that you can see the emperor penguins, which you can't see from up on the peninsula. They like it colder, so they're more inland. And then that's going to take you much further into the ice, a lot more ice navigation at that point. So that's going to be a longer trip. But usually you'll spend those two days, miserable or not, getting down there. And then you'll finally start uh, getting into this nice weather and you'll see icebergs and it's super exciting. And then the way uh, the trips work is usually we'll go, to, we'll go to two places a day. So we'll go somewhere in the morning, everyone has breakfast, and we'll do an outing somewhere. And if the weather's really miserable, which can happen, 
can happen quite often, then that might just be canceled. And we're like, sorry guys, it's way too miserable. We can't even safely get in the boats today. But what we try to do is twice a day, we go to a new different shore landing. So you might in the morning go to like um, a base or a beautiful island or part of the continent and you'll go have a walk around or you'll go snowshoeing or see a historic site there or just get to hang out with these amazing penguins on a beach. But there's usually some walking activity or snowshoeing activity. And then also for people that aren't really into that, they just want to relax and sit down, enjoy the nature. They can just like go and look at the penguin colonies, mostly Gen 2 penguins is what we find there and just be with them. And then, you know, you're there for a few hours. Myself as a guide, I'll be bringing uh, the, the passengers to shore, but then I'll also be running ahead and putting myself at one of these locations, like the end of the walk up the mountain, the end of the, the penguin colony, because I have to make sure people don't get too close to them because that can be really detrimental for, you know, the penguins if they're getting harassed all the time. That's, that's really bad for them. So I'll just be there answering questions people have and, and then just making sure everyone's being respectful. Or maybe I'll be taking a group like on a little hike and we'll be going for like a one hour hike that goes through all the scenery and we'll pass several penguin colonies and we'll see some seals and we'll go up a ridge and look out over the all these you know icebergs in the water. It can be so beautiful. But we'll usually do something like that every morning for the day, go back for lunch, and then we'll do it somewhere else uh, in the afternoon. So while everyone's relaxing and having a hot shower and getting a good lunch, the boat will be relocating to another place they will visit in the afternoon. And then we again come back five or so, maybe six o'clock. Everyone can have a little tea. We have like every day we'll have um, a get together in the bar library area and all the guides will talk about, oh, we saw some some orca today. Let's tell you some information about orca and answer questions and say, you know, a recap of what we did, share, share some fun, like lectures or information and talk about, you know, maybe tomorrow what we're doing. And then everyone has dinner. Some people go straight to bed and some people hang out in the bar all night, but that's pretty much the daily setup. And then we'll do that every day for however many days and see as many things as we can and then head back up to the, back to Ushuaia. What's the food like on a boat like that? It's okay. It's not bad food, but I mean, <laughs> Oceanwide is, I think, a really good mid-level ship. For example, Heritage Expedition was a lot more expensive than Oceanwide was. Oceanwide, you're, you get you get people, like you get people with money, but you get normal people who just have a dream to go to the Antarctic because they can get a, a ticket for maybe $6,000 or maybe like a great deal, 5000 but probably typically between like six dollars to $10,000 you're going on this trip. And so the food's perfectly fine, but I am a food snob. I eat super healthy myself and everything's like organic, free range, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not the best person to ask about the food, but <laughs> the food is perfectly fine. There's, I've never heard a lot of complaints, but it depends. There's some luxury boats, you know, luxury ships that go down there and it's like everything first class. Oceanwide I like because the people I work with are a lot more down to earth. And then I'll add like when you do Oceanwide, there's not just these shore activities there's always the one in the morning and afternoon weather permitting that that always happens but there's also the different excursion which is the the mountaineering so we have a few guides that are going to be particular mountain experts so they can bring you guiding and everyone gets linked up in case they fall into a crevasse which is like you know when there's snow with a big hidden chamber underneath it so you can Mm -hmm. fall into that that has happened on trips when i've been there but everyone's tethered together so they don't all fall in and then the ones have to pull out the other. So we have the mountaineering trips that you can sign up for. 
and then we have the kayaking. So it will happen just like one of the days when everyone goes to shore, instead of going to shore, you'll be like, oh, it's my turn to go kayaking. So you'll go kayaking in this bay and you'll go kayak through the icebergs or see, like some guys, they see like a whole bunch of um, humpback whales like coming up all near their kayaks. And it was like, that happens. You know, it's not every time, but you know, sometimes you get to see that out on the kayak, which is so much more peaceful than being on the Zodiac or on the ship. And it's, it's wonderful. So that's one of the things you can do, the mountaineering. And then where I come into it is the the camping. So I'm always been the camping guide, uh, just because I have ex- extensive experience living and sleeping outdoors, just from my hitchhiking, camping, and then my hunting in New Zealand, where I'd stay months on end, like living in the bush. So I, I love camping. And that's really fun because you get to have the experience of sleeping in Antarctica. And so, you know, I'll take 30, you know, say we're there for four nights or something. Four of those nights every night, I'll take a group of about 30. So we will have between 100 and 120 people. So everyone gets a chance. We have about 100 people. So almost everyone, anyone who wants to camp will get a chance unless the weather's bad. There's probably at least one time out of every trip I do where the camping might get canceled because the weather's too uh, dangerous. But we do have backup days. Like if that day gets canceled, the group gets moved to another day. Once in a while, people are very disappointed they didn't get to camp because of the weather, which we can't control. But usually we almost always can get most people that want to camp. But anyway, so I will work all day doing those two outings. And then I will prepare and take a group of 30 people after dinner, 9 p.m. We'll go. Everyone carries this bag that's got like their, their sleeping bags and their bivy bag no tent. We don't usually use tents. And then we all pile in the Zodiacs. We go to shore at a new spot every time. It might be a little island. It might be part of the main continent, but it's usually this cool place and you go there and it's untouched and everyone goes to shore and you like have these little shovels that we take turns using and we don't sleep in tents. We sleep in a bivy bag, which is pretty much like a sleeping bag, but it's waterproof. So you have a bivy bag that's waterproof with a sleeping bag inside and another sleeping bag inside of that. And what you do is you dig this little one size trench. It looks like a grave, but it's just a wind blockade. And so you'll dig a little a little hole for yourself. Some people get creative and the couples dig a little double couple cave. It's super adorable. I've seen up to like seven people dig one big spot. Obviously it's not very windproof at that point, but it doesn't matter. And everyone just gets to dig their little home and I'm just like running around helping. I'm helping people get onto shore, helping them get out of the, the zodiacs. Because imagine like there's some waves, there's some big waves coming on shore, and they're, you know, it's not the best day. And then they're getting off the zodiac and they got all their gear on and they got their big, their big dry sack bag with their gear in it because I can't carry 30 bags of gear. So everyone carries their own gear. And they're like trying to get off the boat, but it's so bumpy and rough. So you gotta like reach out a hand, like grab my hand, I will save you. And then <laughs> sometimes it's really easy and everyone just walks to shore and sometimes it's really adventurous. And then some people go straight to bed and some people, you know, will go on a little walk or will watch the sunset. It's not really a sunset. It's more like the sun is just very low and it creates these spectacular colors and you're just watching these beautiful scenes. And, you know, sometimes we have penguins walking through camp and sometimes we got like different um, seals, you know, just nearby that you know we can't get too close but they're like right by our camp and we get to watch them and sometimes you're just looking out over this big valley of ocean with um icebergs floating around and even if at times you see whales just breaching over and over you can sit all night watching them and then you know everyone eventually i'm like hey guys we gotta go to bed because 
when we do these camping trips, we wake up about 4 or 5 a.m. So because we need to get back to the boat and the boat needs to move to get to the, the location for the next day's trip for the morning outing. So it's a very short sleep. Some people are very warm and comfortable. They say they sleep great. Some people say I was so miserable and cold. I didn't sleep at all. It really varies to person to person. Some people say they'd never do it again, but I've never had someone say they wish they hadn't done it. It's, it's such a cool experience. And I love, I love taking people camping. It's usually just me and one other guide helping me. And so it's, it's just a lot more intimate and cozy. And I take tons of pictures and every single person I go and tuck them into bed with a photo and I take a photo of them in their little bivy bag in the ice in the Antarctic. And then we wake up super early, pack everything up, put all our stuff away. We have to fill in those trenches so that no little penguins fall in and get stuck. And then we're back on the ship going for the next day's trip. And then it starts again, as I said, just the morning outing and the afternoon outing. Is there any animals that you have to be, because I'm just, this is probably a stupid question, but you don't get polar bears, do you, on Antarctica? No, and that's not, it's not stupid at all because this is really, like the media makes us be tricked into this because they're always putting polar bears next to penguins. <laughs> but the truth is they've never met in the wild because polar bears are only in the Arctic. So they're only in the north part of the world. And ah. penguins, you will only find penguins from the equator south. So you get penguins in, you know, in New Zealand and I think in Israel even, maybe, I'm pretty sure. South Africa, you're getting penguins, South America like Argentina, you're getting penguins, you're not getting anything north uh, of the equator. So polar bears are in the north, penguins are in the south. If a polar bear ever, ever met some penguins, he would have a field day because he'd be like, oh my <laughs> gosh, all this free food. Um, <laughs> but like humpback whales, you'll get in the north and southern hemisphere and, and seals you'll get in the north and southern hemisphere. But penguins and polar bears, they stay in their separate regions. So what's nice about the Antarctic in the south compared to the Arctic in the north is in the Antarctic, you never get anything that's going to hurt you or kill you. You don't have to worry about it. Now, working in the Arctic, when I was, I sailed, I've sailed through there a few times, you have to be very concerned about polar bears actively will stalk humans as, as food. And you usually need to carry a rifle or like a, a bigger gun on shore just in case if something happens. Even I've been on a small sail trip with five of us. Someone always had to lug that big rifle around on shore. And you have to be very careful where you go and when and make sure you don't get a polar bear. But in, so in the, in the Arctic, you don't do camping. There's no camping up there for, for trips like that. But yeah. in the Antarctic, it's really nice because there's not really much that's going to hurt you besides the weather. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's so strange. Yeah, I just always assumed that penguins and polar bears would kind of in the same spot that's so weird they're well, always together you see like a christmas commercial with polar bears yeah. and penguins and like you always think this and before i was a guide i didn't know either and almost like a lot of people i meet don't know this so there's a lot of things that are, are misconstrued i suppose many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Do you remember the first time, like the first trip you did and the first time you saw these massive icebergs? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It is, it's just something you'll never see elsewhere in the world. And my first time was in the Arctic uh, in Greenland because I, I told you the first ice experience was when I went from New York on the sailboat. It was five of us on quite a small sailboat and we sailed up to Greenland and we're going into this bay, Alulisat, which is, I think, the it, it, it's the largest glacier in the Northern Hemisphere, I believe, or one of these. And it's huge. And it's just throwing out ginormous icebergs. And there was ice everywhere. We were trying to get into this town to, to port there, you know, to fill up on our fuel and, and, and things. And it took us hours, which should have taken like 20 minutes. It took us hours because we were like weaving in and out of so much ice, giant pieces and little pieces. And it was like a maze of them just trying to get through them to get to this this town. And it was so wonderful. Like there's huge ones with like big like pieces out in the middle where you look like you could sail through there, which no one should ever do. That's extremely dangerous. There's just, a, there's, and they're all so unique. Like every shape is unique. And it's just, it's just a m- magical, wonderful thing to see them. And I remember the first one we saw it was just one random and so floating in the middle of the ocean. We're like, oh no. So we went like way out of the way. We're like, hey, hey, that's not safe. And you know, it was our first one. Everyone but the captain on our boat, all four of us hadn't really seen icebergs so much. So it was just so exciting. And then eventually we're just like, you know, weaving in between them because there were so many. Now the ones we're weaving in between all add are like the smaller pieces, those massive ones that were three times, four times the height of our sailboat mast you know we don't go anywhere near those because they do roll and we have seen them where it looks totally steady and then just bam it just rolls and the, the as you know most people know the bottom is way bigger and it's got it can stick out in different place so if you're anywhere near that and it flips you could be gone so you you can't get too close i'm sure we did some stupid things in the beginning we were on a sailboat <laughs> i wasn't working for a company and we probably got a lot closer than we should have because it was exciting it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful experience that I hope as many people can experience as possible. Just seeing those big icebergs in water. Everyone's different, unique. It's like a piece of art. Oh, I really want to go. <laughs> What's the craziest or most special thing you've seen on a trip? Hmm, That's a good question. It's hard to answer the craziest or most special because there's so many different special bits and pieces like the most majestic things I would say is one looking out like over a very calm area, uh, all full of water. that's just full of icebergs. Like that is just, it's a breathtaking moment where you're just in awe. You're really in awe. And then the other just magnificent things is just seeing the, the wildlife, penguins. Like, I mean, who doesn't love a penguin? And when you come on a colony of like hundreds or thousands of penguins, I mean, it's kind of something you can almost start to take for granted because once you're there, there's penguins everywhere. One of the most special things is just watching them and seeing how they're treating each other and the drama between the penguins fighting and they they build their nests. The gentoo penguins build their nests out of uh, little pebbles. They like build it up around and, you know, and there's this battle between the penguins and they're stealing each other's pebbles and yelling at each other and all this drama. And it's a simple thing and you get to see it a lot when you do a trip like that but that's one of the most wonderful things is just watching the wildlife sometimes we're so fortunate in a big pot of orca uh, will come through and a boundary ship and you're just like wow or 
uh, sometimes you get to see the a large group of humpback whales that are breaching, like they're just jumping and landing and jumping and landing out of the water. Or even sometimes they have a they have this way of feeding, like bubble net feeding, and which is pretty magnificent to see. So I can't choose one, like something that was the best. Like really, they're all wonderful in different ways. I don't remember what the question was anymore, but the, <laughs> there's, there's so many good experiences. Oh, it just sounds like an absolute dream. What What's your favorite thing or what do you love most about being a tour guide down there? Oh, I mean, again, that's hard to answer. Uh, one is seeing the joy and excitement for people seeing it the first time. Like I've never been on a trip that it wasn't like it was a new time for me. You know, so one of the best things in life is like experiencing something wonderful for the first time. And I get to experience it every single time because I'm doing it with, with them. And I'm, it's like having a, a friend or a kid and you're bringing them somewhere really cool and new and they're like, oh my gosh, and you get to live that with them. So like the excitement of, of always being with a group that's appreciating. Like I love in life when we're appreciating things and being grateful for things. And you can't be there without being in awe. You can't be there without being grateful in some way. So that's wonderful. I mean, the other best part is I get to go see penguins all the time. Like I get to watch them grow up as well. Cause you know, I'll go on one trip. We go just, we go to the kind of the same places every time. Cause like, you know, the best places are scouted out and we always bring guests like to the, to the best landings and the best locations. So I'll go there on one trip, go back, get a new group, come back and like, Oh, the little baby's hatched now. Cause he was an egg before. Now he's hatched. Now I get to see him being a little baby and then I'll leave, come back a couple weeks later. and like, Oh, he's growing up so fast. Cause you know, you know, the nests don't move and you're like, oh, I remember this guy. He's so cute. Little Bob. And now he's got little fuzz. He's looking so fuzzy. He's starting to, to squawk and, you know, and like seeing them grow up, that's super cute. But yeah, the guiding is just, it's really rewarding. And I'll just add one more thing that's also very rewarding is, um, as guides, we don't just do the outdoor stuff. We don't just take them, you know, hiking and camping and do that kind of thing. We also do lectures. So there's a lot of education taking place on our trips, especially on those sea days. If it's not too rough, we're doing... We're talking about like krill and the and the and the whole system, the whole ecosystem down there, and what's unique about it, and and the science behind it, and you know what's happening with global warming and what we need to do to protect these guys. So there's a lot of things you get to learn, and there's a lot of education, and we get to pass that on. So what's also really rewarding is seeing people become inspired to care about this part of the world and preserving it, and whatever I can do to make people love this place and share it so they can love it and care about it, like. In some small way, this this could go on to, to really help the world and help people care about nature and respecting it and preserving it. Like one time we had a group, it was a large group of college students. I think they're from um, either Michigan, I think, Michigan University or something. And they came and they're all so wonderful and young and excited and passionate. And I remember like one girl was like, oh, I'm going to go study this now and like, you know, go into conservation and caring and help change the world. And it's like, wow, good for you. And it's really cool to be a small part of helping educate people to to make the world better. That's awesome, Grace. Like that's, yeah, far out. That's so sick. Obviously, we're living in a pretty weird time. What are your dreams for the future? Well, I mean, I have my idealistic ones and then I have like more practical ones. <laughs> like, you know, there's things I would wish for and everyone would wake up and care what's happening and really pay attention and, you know, use less, consume less and, and, and care more than themselves. They, like, you know, respecting everything in, in a way. 
and I hope that happens, but you know, it's not going to happen quickly. So a lot of my, my goals is just in education and awareness, making people just be more educated make better decisions. You know, I backpack for almost 10 years now, so I'm a very minimalist person. I don't need much. I wish people could realize that if they have less, they'll probably be happier. What an absolute legend. I have to say, after this chat, I just felt so inspired. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, the best way you can support the show is to rate and review this podcast wherever you listened. And if you want to tell a mate, that would be just wonderful too. As an independent creator, I greatly appreciate all the help I can get. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button. That way you'll be notified as soon as a new episode drops. Also, if you want to get in touch, all my contact details are in the show notes. I'm always keen to hear new ideas. But for now, thank you so much for listening. My name is Monica O'Hanlon and that was Living With Mon. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.